Hey, Mountain Park, Pastor Andrew here. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, we had a, a COVID cr Christmas at our house too. And if I haven't seen you since before Christmas, uh, hopefully you've been staying uh, healthy or if you've gotten sick, it hasn't been uh, a severe case of COVID, but it's kind of going everywhere right now. And we know that that's just a reality. Uh, so we are going to step back into sort of premiering or, or uh, just hosting Sundays online for a number of weeks, just because we know that there are lots of you uh, who are not comfortable coming on Sunday, which is totally fine, or who are close contacts, or maybe you have had COVID yourself in the last week or two. And so you're just uh, sticking at home and that is totally great. We wanna honor you and serve you as best we can. So uh, we are still open. We have uh, reduced capacity again, uh, even before all of this happened, we re kind of made sure that our rows have the proper spacing and whatnot. And uh, we are, uh, encouraging everyone, if you are sick, don't come. <laughs> like, let's be, just use sort of uh, normal common sense that we've always used in life. If you're sick, please don't come. Don't bring your kids that are sick. Um, it's hard enough just opening up the building every week and not knowing who's gonna be available and who's not. And we don't wanna cause any further distress to anyone or um, anything like that. So if you're sick, don't come if you're not uh, and you're feeling great and whatever, uh, come. Let's respect each other, though. And, um, you know, our church is going to stay open and we're going to do our best to serve everyone through all of this. And that's always been our heart is just to serve the people who are coming and to serve those who aren't coming and do our best with that. So, so yeah, you, uh, if you're watching this online today, are hearing the same uh, message that I'm preaching live this uh, Sunday, which will be January, what is it? 16th, I guess. So I'm going to pray um, and we'll dive right into it. Let's just pray. Jesus, uh, we need you and we need your leadership in this season, in these moments. Um, we, uh, yeah, there's so much going on around us. And so I just ask Holy Spirit, even right now, in these moments that you would come and that you would usher in the peace of Jesus Christ into every home, every place where this is being watched or listened to, I just ask for the overshadowing peace and rest of Jesus Christ right now. Father, we just, uh, we trust you in all things. And uh, we just ask in the name of Jesus that you uh, would continue to uh, stir us toward transformation, that you would call us into deeper levels of relationship with you. Father, I ask as we open your word that you would transform and teach us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are starting this new series called Counterformation. And if you've been around in the last little while, uh, you know that we've been sort of uh, heading down this road for, for quite a while. And we want to kind of do some specific and focused teaching 
on the ways that we believe of God has laid out for us to grow spiritually. And uh, that is a huge issue, I guess, in our lives. And we can't pretend anymore. We don't have the luxury of pretending anymore that we can just casually approach our spiritual life and expect that we're going to grow. We don't have the luxury anymore of just believing we can maintain a status quo, even like a just a Sunday morning spirituality and not be heavily influenced and shaped and formed by our culture around us, by our own desires and flesh, or by the prevailing kind of uh, world thought patterns that are going around everywhere. I've been saying this for a while, and it's true, I believe. It's not a matter of whether you and I are being shaped and formed spiritually. It's not a matter of if that's happening. It's by whom is that taking place? Are you and I increasingly being shaped by the Spirit of God in our life, or are we being shaped by um, what Paul refers to in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, the, the world, like, so that's these global patterns of thinking and ideologies and thought. Um, a German word for that is zeitgeist, the world, our own flesh, and the devil. That's the sort of the counter trinity to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying like, you, like we are being influenced and shaped by them. We don't get a choice. So the question is not whether you are being shaped spiritually, whether you're being formed spiritually, it's by whom are you being formed? And I wanna just bring us back to like square one here. The call of our lives in, in, in scripture, the call of our lives is to be conformed or, or shaped into the image of Christ. That is the target. That's the bullseye. That is the heart of God for your life is that you would be shaped into the image of Christ. Romans 8.29, this is what Paul says. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. He chose them to become like his son, to be formed into the image so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says this, then we will no longer be immature like children. He's talking about the use of the gifts of the spirit in the context of the body of Christ. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. So when we take up the gifts of the Spirit and we begin to use them and live into them corporately, and we're going to be talking about that later in the spring, um, we begin to develop a maturity. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing all right, so get this, growing in every way more like Christ. So this is echoing what he's saying in Romans 8, 29. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The God's purpose for your life, his desire for you is that you grow into the image of, of Jesus into his likeness, that you are a reflection and a representation of his character, 
of um, his demeanor, of his uh, every facet of the human self. Galatians 4.19, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully formed in your lives or fully developed. So Paul is teaching very clearly that the, the purpose of our lives is to be shaped into the image of Christ. And he's using this word formed and, and, and conformed, and this is where we get our word formation uh, that is attached to spiritual formation. And spiritual formation is a biblical uh, process. You could use uh, another biblical word for that is the process of sanctification, is growing to be more like Christ. So formation spiritually happens to everyone. You don't get a choice. It happens. The question is who is shaping your life or what is shaping your life? What is dominating your life in such a way that it's shaping how you think and how you behave and how you act. It's shaping your character. It's shaping your, your, uh, even how you, um, these things flow out of you physically and what you say and what you do and how you respond. We are being shaped. The question is who's doing the shaping in our life? The problem we have is that there's been this chasm, this ginormous separation between uh, salvation and transformation. And we're not going to fully get into that today, but I believe God is calling, uh, calling us to bring these things back together. That being saved implicitly, in from a New Testament perspective, being saved implicitly requires transformation. You cannot disconnect these two things. So uh, I would argue that transformation is presupposed in the New Testament. There is not a person found in the New Testament who was not radically transformed by the gospel, by their encounter with Jesus, by the life of the kingdom. Our problem is that we rarely find people who call themselves Christians who have been deeply shaped and formed into the image of Christ. Here's our problem. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not setting myself aside from everybody else in this. This is the problem, especially of the Western church, is that by and large, the vast, vast majority of our churches are filled with people who bear no distinctive difference between the secular world. But between those who do not profess to be Christians, there's virtually no distinguishing difference. We listen to the same music. We uh, practice all of the same uh, things. We uh, have the same divorce rates. We have the same uh, rates of addiction to alcohol and drug and pornography and all of these things. There's virtually no distinction of transformation being found in the church. And this is what I believe God is calling us as a family together, you and me, he's calling us into an intentional season of transformation, of formation to the image of Christ. So uh, in our sort of lexicon here, as I talk about and use words like spiritual formation, um, it's rooted in scripture and uh, 
It's not spiritual formation is not behavior modification primarily. It's the transformation of the whole self. So when Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is like it, to love you as your neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself. He was talking about a transformation of the whole human self, spirit, soul, body, mind, character, emotion, thought life, reason, how we interact with others, all of these things are meant. And Jesus is saying that the greatest call of God is to be transformed into the image of Christ in each of the areas of the human self. So spiritual formation, as we are going to just create a common lexicon at our church for that, is scriptural. And it's the transformation of the whole human self into the image of God, beginning with spiritual renewal, beginning with the spirit or the human spirit and working its way out. Spiritual formation is the process of the transformation of the human self led by the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. So let me say that again, spiritual formation, as we're defining it here at Mountain Park in our family, is the formation of the human spirit and the entire human self by the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. It's not just for you, it's not just for your sake, it's for the sake of others. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians 3, 1 to 17, as he's talking about living the new Life, He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He goes on, I'm going to skip down to verse, uh, what is it, five. Put to death, this requires activity on our part. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on, again, our initiation, our activity, our involvement in this process of formation into the image of Christ. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. This is the the pervasive work 
of the kingdom of God through the whole human self. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's, he's, he's unpacking every aspect of our character, our emotional life, our relational life, our thought life, what we say and how we act and our proclivities, our, what we gravitate toward, the things we're obsessed about and, and the things that grip us as temptations, the whole of our human self. He's saying, that we need to be transformed in all of these areas. Peter says it too, it's not just Paul. Second Peter 1, 2 through 11, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge. All right, again, the biblical sort of expression of that word knowledge is not just intellectual head knowledge. Knowledge meant depth of relationship and intimacy. It was a deep, uh, a deep knowing through relationship. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Again, not just coming to intellectually agree with him, not just coming to propositionally uh, you know, agree with doctrine about him, not just by professing to believe something. We have received all of this by coming to know him relationally, experientially, deeply. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises uh, verse five, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement, all right? So again, it's our activity in the process. We are co-workers uh, in the process of being formed into the image of Christ. We are co-workers. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for any for everyone so peter is is expressing here and he's detailing a progression of growth through the different areas of the human self and life the more you grow like this the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge, your relationship of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sin. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. All right? So, um, God calls us, the heart of God is that you would be shaped into the image, the, the, the representation of the whole being of Jesus, that you wouldn't just be uh, doctrinally on board with him, that your whole life would be shaped and counterformed by him. We're up against the flesh, the world, and the devil, and they're trying to shape how we think, how we behave, how we act, what, what we do in, in, in every area of our life and Paul in the New Testament, the scripture is saying, no, 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 we need to be counterformed, countershaped into the image of Jesus. And that doesn't happen just by accident or haphazardly. So the question then is, well, you know, Jesus was God, fully God, 
fully man. How, how could we set Jesus as the standard for our life? We'll never be God. Of course we won't. But that doesn't change the reality that Jesus is our standard for formation in life, that Jesus and his uh, whole human self are the target for our life. So then how can we become like him and do even greater things than he did, as Jesus said in John 14? This brings us to a key, key passage, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So how are we to believe that we could become like Jesus, that we can be shaped and formed into the exact representation of Jesus if Jesus is God and Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's the light that came into the world and took on human flesh. How could that possibly be even realistic for us? And this is the, the, the tragedy and the travesty so many of us and so many in the Christian world today just relegate this to the shelf of that's impossible. That can't be the target for our lives. Therefore, we're not even going to go down that road. And what Paul is saying here, the key sort of idea in this whole passage and the key word is this Greek word kenosis where it says Jesus emptied himself, he humbled himself and he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave. Um, this idea of kenosis is the linchpin that we need to understand about this passage. And when it says that Jesus emptied himself, he did not empty himself of his uh, a godly nature and divinity. Jesus did not cease to become God. What that word kenosis means when he emptied himself is he willingly took on human limitation, on every human limitation. He became human in every single respect of the word, every single um, idea of that word, he took on every human limitation and did not operate as God outside of the normal constraints of humanity. So Jesus did not uh, uh, rely on his divinity to operate in any way on the earth. This is what kenosis means. While being fully God, he humbled himself and laid down his right to operate as God. Instead, he took on every human limitation, every human reality that you and I experience every day. Jesus took that on. And now is the example, showed us how to live as a human in relation to God on the earth. He became our example in every conceivable way. The writers of scripture are very clear that Jesus was human in every conceivable way. 
He did not use the privilege of his divinity to operate. He did not use his divinity to supernaturally heal people, to, uh, to operate in the miraculous, to open blind eyes or, or uh, cause lame people to walk again or to set people free from demonic, um, you know, demonization. Jesus did not use the privilege of his divinity. He operated fully as a man, submitted to and dependent on the Father. We're going to talk a bit more about this. In John 14, 12, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So many of you, even maybe now, are hearing that and going, well, that's impossible. How could that ever possibly be? Jesus was God. Well, we're going to find out how he did that. And we're stepping into this all this spring as a church. We're going to, we're going to uncover the way um, and the model that Jesus leaves us for life in the kingdom of God, life under the leadership of God on the earth as a human being. A key to understanding John 14, 12, and a key to understanding Philippians is found in the story of Jesus's uh, baptism and wilderness uh, confrontation with the devil. In Matthew 3, we see at Jesus's baptism that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, at his baptism, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness he has this battle, this confrontation with the devil. And then in Luke 4, it says when he came out of the wilderness, he was filled with the power of the Spirit. So Jesus, on his baptism, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, after the wilderness experience, was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how Jesus operated all of the stories you read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, everything we know about Jesus, he humbled himself. Paul is very clear. He laid aside his right to rely on his divinity. He took on every human limitation. So how did he do what he did? How did he, how was his character formed and transformed? How did he operate in the supernatural power of God? He did it by relying on the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in him, not his own privileged divinity. Charles Kraft says it this way. We read in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, that Jesus laid aside the use of his divinity and worked totally as a human being in the power of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth. He did nothing, I want you to hear this, he did nothing to indicate to the world, including the people of his hometown, Nazareth, that he was, in fact, God incarnate until after his baptism. You, you'll recall in the Gospels, his family, they thought he was crazy. His, none of his brothers believed him. His hometown rejected him. Isn't this just this carpenter's son? We, we've seen him grow up. Jesus never in his life gave any indication that he was God incarnate until after his baptism. Then, functioning wholly as a human being under the leading of the Father, you can go to John 5, 19, where Jesus says, I only 
say what I hear the Father saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus being fully led by the Father, under the leading of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, again, Luke 4, 14, he began to set people free from captivity to the enemy as evidenced by sickness, lameness, blindness, demonization, and the like. Jesus worked in the authority and power given him by the Father, never once using his own divinity while on earth. That's from Charles Kraft. I, 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 I want this to sink in for you. The call of scripture, the heart of God for you is that you be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, that your whole being be transformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus is the model for our life. If you just think about the impact that Jesus had on this earth, the way that he treated people, the power that he walked with, the, the peace that he walked with, the, the uh, pervading presence of the kingdom that he walked with, the, the call of scripture, the heart of God is that you and I would walk in that same way, that we would carry that same authority and power and character transformation and kingdom life on the earth, that we would walk around as reflections of and representations, increasingly more and more representations of Jesus himself, that we would not only behave the way that Jesus did, that our character would not only be like Jesus's, but that we would walk with the same uh, authority and power that Jesus did on the earth. I want to just make a few points as we kind of close out this intro to being counterformed into the image of Christ. We have, the scripture says, the same access to the Father that Jesus did. Paul is clear about that in the book of Ephesians that we have been invited into the Holy of Holies by Jesus because of the blood of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We have the same access to the Father that Jesus did. You and I lack nothing in this regard. We can come to the Father in the exact same way that Jesus himself did as a human being. He is still human even, by the way. Number two, we have the same Holy Spirit Jesus had. We don't have a, a, a reduced version of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a junior Holy Spirit. We don't have a partial Holy Spirit. We have the same access to the Father. We could come to the Father the same way Jesus did. We have the same Holy Spirit he had. We have the same power in us that Jesus himself had. We have the same character offered to us that Jesus himself did. We have the same gifts of the same Holy Spirit that Jesus himself had. We have the same spiritual practices that Jesus used in his life to shape his whole life under the kingdom of God. And so where we're going with all of this is that there is a practical roadmap for you and I to be shaped. Sorry, something just scared me over there. For you and I to be shaped into the image of Christ. I believe through my own study in scripture and uh, you know my own observation and reflection now that Jesus was formed into the image of God and that we can be conversely formed into the image of Jesus 
through three primary mechanisms. Number one, Jesus brought himself under Scripture. Scripture was the dominant shaping and forming mechanism in his life. Number two, Jesus intentionally practiced spiritual disciplines. Jesus in his life intentionally engaged in spiritual practices. These spiritual practices we're gonna go on to talk about over the next number of weeks here, but he, Jesus himself engaged in spiritual practices that became the points of transformation in his own character into the kingdom of God. And number three, Jesus used the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit to walk out his kingdom calling on the earth. You and I have access to all three of these things, scripture, spiritual practices, and the gifting and power of the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need, as Peter says, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything we need to be shaped into the image of Christ. Can you imagine what your family would experience if your whole being, your character, your demeanor, your, your attitudes, your thought life, your, your disposition, the way you talk and behave and and operate in the kingdom power and authority of God. Can you imagine the impact on your family? Can you imagine the impact on your community, your workplace and the world around us if increasingly you and I were carrying the image of Jesus in greater measure through our whole being? It is possible. It is God's heart for us. And there is a way to walk into it. And we're about to experience that and step into that as a whole Church, I can't wait for the next season of life in our church as we begin to be intentional about being shaped and spiritually formed into the image of Christ. There's great, great, great hope for you and I, for your kids, for my kids, for this generation. There's great hope that we can actually be uh, influencers and shapers of the kingdom of God on the earth today, bringing light into dark, dark places. Our world needs people who are not just nominal Sunday Christians, but people who are being deeply shaped and transformed into the image of God. Let's just pray. Jesus, as we begin this journey and this process, I'm just asking Holy Spirit, even right now, that you would fill and flood every person under the sound of my voice with the hope that is found in Christ, with faith again, with a renewed um, persistence and a renewed uh, sort of tenacity and diligence to understand that they can be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus being fully God, but fully, fully, fully man, uh, taking on the restrictions and limitations that we ourselves experience. He walked in the power and authority and the goodness of God in a way that was explosive, in a way that was 
uh, absolutely attractional to everyone around him. Father, I pray that you would stir us with a new faith, that it is possible for our whole self to be transformed in real material ways into the kingdom um, image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would remind us again today that anything is possible with you. Anything is possible. Father, stir us out of our apathy, stir us out of our unbelief, stir us, Holy Spirit, out of our even rejection of the idea that we could become like Christ and move us into a powerful new reality, the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory for this world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.